I'm reading from Mark 5, 1 to 20. They went across to the lake, to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, and he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Would you pray with me? Lord, your scriptures are living and active, but they are also at times uh, unsettling. And so by your spirit now, give us insight into this text, we pray in Christ's name. Well, hello, Restoration. My name is Jeff, and um, my wife, Darlene, and I uh, had the privilege of attending uh, Restoration for about two and a half years. And we were gone a lot because we work in the MENA region, but uh, when we were at home in uh, Minneapolis area, that's where we were. It was our home church. And as you know, or maybe you don't know, but uh, right now we're in the midst of a series on uh, loving our neighbors. And today we want to talk about uh, the place, the very real place of fear and what fear does in our ability or inability to love our neighbors the way Jesus would invite us to love him. Uh, let's, uh, if you listen to that text and his you were trying to kind of get your bearings about it. Um, uh, here's the context is that it says that Jesus 
and his disciples have gone across the lake. And uh, so we've got a map here because sometimes maps are helpful. And uh, so if you look at the map, you see the lake kind of in the middle there. And as you're looking at it, on the top left, that's kind of the Galilee area. That's the Jewish side. That is where Jesus, that's where a lot of Jesus' ministry was. Uh, you can maybe see the word uh, Capernaum up there. That's where it is. And then if you go almost diagonally, uh, right down to the bottom of the lake. So on the bottom right side, um, that is the general area um, that we're talking about in this text. So sometimes uh, when Jesus got in the boat, he almost went like straight across from Capernaum kind of area. This was, uh, this was down and uh, out. And this was a scary place for the Jewish people because uh, it was a place where their religion was not practiced. It was a place that was under Roman domination and Roman rule, but you know, uh, that wasn't really a comforting thing to the Jewish people. And so uh, here you had this region where uh, Jesus took his uh, disciples. This is not, it's not their people. It's not a culture that's like what they're used to. And frankly, it's scary. Um, and then the text starts. I mean, it's, it's kind of enough that we just get to the place and get there. But then the text starts, and what do we have? Well, we have this man with an unclean spirit. Uh, so we have a demon-possessed individual. And uh, again, he's not kind of hiding in the corner. It says that his, in the text, it's really interesting. It says that his home or his dwelling was the tombs. So not just that he hung out there, but he actually uh, would crawl into these. And again, you know, we can't really think of tombs like we have. Uh, they're not, you know, like with a headstone hole in the ground. These are little caves. Oftentimes, uh, the tombs in that area, they're just naturally occurring caves or they're chiseled out caves. And then they have some kind of, uh, you know, rock in front of it. But he, his dwelling, I mean, that was his home, was living in these tombs. And... In the tombs, of course, uh, there were bones of dead people. So what you have here is a guy that is like multi-layer unclean. And so for again, for these, uh, Jesus and his Jewish command uh, companions, as they showed up, uh, you know, even if he wasn't like attacking them or anything, if he just kind of ran by and touched them, they would become unclean. And it says that he cried out. Um, and, and, you know, you just get this uh, impression. He's crying out. He is so strong that he's able to break uh, the shackles and the chains. Uh, it, it, you know, the, it, it gives the impact that he uh, probably beat them against the rocks. He could break the chains or the ropes, and then he beat the shackles until he got rid of them. It reminds me of a time I was... Um, I was volunteering at a place in Winnipeg, an inner city mission, and um, I, I kind of saw, and th this was not a demon-possessed person, this was just a person where adrenaline took over. And so I was, I was there and uh, I was running the coffee station, and 
you know, people were getting their stuff and I don't know exactly what happened, but a guy in a wheelchair became really agitated. I mean, really agitated. And a number of the people, uh, this is pretty much your, your, your street community or people that just, the only way they get by is by coming there for, for food. And so he was a known entity there and his friends were trying to get him to calm down and he didn't calm down and he started throwing things and the next thing you knew there were police and it was incredible because this man only had one leg and he was able, he was so uh, adrenaline up that he was able to pick up two large policemen and some of his friends who were trying to just calm him down because if you get thrown out, you can't come back for three months and his friends were concerned. Okay, that's just a guy who's got adrenaline coursing through his veins. So this guy is really scary. And so this passage, I think, it may, it may be like, what kind of weird passage is Jeff going with today? Well, the thing is, it really talks about fear, but it also talks about a neighbor. Uh, Miroslav Volf is, um, he teaches at Yale, he's a theologian. Um, he grew up in uh, Croatia, which is part of the fragmented old Yugoslavia. You can look up all your history, but it is an area of great conflict. And there's a lot of people there that have divided up, particularly between the Christian and the Muslim community and other communities. And it's like, you just don't cross barriers. But he is a person that says it is our task to reach out to the other. Here's a couple really great quotes that he says. First of all, if you take the love of enemy out of Christianity, you've unchristianed the Christian faith. If you take love of enemy, and, and who's our enemy? They're people we're afraid of. If you take that out, he says, you don't have the Christian faith anymore. He also says this, Christ's indwelling presence has freed us from exclusive orientation toward ourselves and opened us up in two directions, toward God to receive the good things in faith and toward our neighbor to pass them on in love. We want to think about our neighbor and about the reality that fear has in relating to neighbors. I just quickly want you to think back, if you think of the Good Samaritan, uh, one of the lessons about the, the story that Jesus told about the Good Samaritan of three people that passed by, the guy who had been beaten up and left for dead, um, and you know the Samaritan, the guy who uh, was kind of the outcast, was the one that actually helped him out. But one of those things, one of the real, one of the points from that parable is basically um, everyone's our neighbor. Everybody is our neighbor. In the text that we have read for us by Darlene, the disciples aren't really even mentioned, except that we hear the words they, lake, and boat. And we know that they is more than just Jesus. We know that uh, lake and boat go together with fishermen. So, you know, at least some of, maybe it's just Peter and James and John and the sailboat kind of guys, but probably all the disciples were there. Interesting that we don't hear anything about them. This is all about Jesus. And so maybe we just stand back a little bit and like the disciples, watch what's going on. Hey, can you think of a time when you were maybe in an area that had neighbors that you didn't want to meet or uh, in a neighborhood that brought you fear?
As, uh, as I mentioned before, we work in the MENA, Middle East, North Africa region. And one of the things that we've come to really understand is that for many, many people, that is a part of the world that just engenders fear. And we know this because probably the most common question we get asked is this. Do you really feel safe traveling in that part of the world? You see, that, that's a fear-based question, right? Do we feel safe? Um, this passage is about asking the question, do we feel safe? But the passage doesn't leave us at just this question of, should I be fearful? Am I fearful? I see uh, really four things that this passage can tell us and help us in terms of relating to neighbors. The first one is this. Jesus really wants us to see the big picture of who are our neighbors. Can you just kind of remember back to that map? Um, the top left, that's who, for the most part, the disciples thought of, that's our neighbors. You know, it's the fishermen we know, that's the little coastline we work on. Maybe we, we veer around a little bit. Um, even just, just south of there was Tiberias. That was a Roman city. There's no evidence that Jesus and his disciples uh, ever went through Tiberias. Even those didn't feel like their neighbors. But Jesus just kind of expands this, like he does when he has to go through Samaria. You know, Jesus is continually exploding our small sense of geography and our small sense of who are our neighbors. Second of all, the neighbors we're fearful about are basically just like us. The interesting verse in verse 5. So it talks about this de demonized man and, he, and he's crying out. But uh, it says a couple different things and he was running around. But when he was um, in verse 5, the word that's used for he kept crying out. It's not a word about just screaming and yelling and like trying to scare people. It's a word that comes out of agony. It's a word that comes out of his need. It's the same word that's used in Matthew chapter 9 when it talks about the blind men who cry out to Jesus because of their blindness. It's the same word that's used in Matthew chapter 14 of the disciples when they cried out because Jesus was coming, walking on the water, and they thought they were seeing a ghost, and they just cried out. So it is, it is this cry of agony. Really, that's, that's something that we should all be able to, to relate to. We all, we all cry out. You know, in the MENA region, one of the things that's really interesting is that when you, when you stop and you spend time with people, so when you get away from the news and the headlines and, you know, whatever the books say and all that kind of stuff, and you're just face-to-face -face with another person and you listen to them, you realize they're just like me. They're just like me. Uh, we think of refugees who live in a tent, who've lived in a tent for years, who we've met. And you know what? 
What do they want to talk about? They want to talk about their kids. They want to talk about things that are important to them in their life. And as you listen, of course, we're listening through translators because they're speaking in Arabic. But as we listen, it's like that is exactly the same kind of stuff that I would talk about with somebody else. I remember visiting uh, families in a rural part of uh, a northern African country. And uh, we, were, we were visiting a number of families whose children were involved in uh, a particular program that was being done there by a Christian ministry. And it was really fun. It was really fun because um, these kids would get a chance to tell us, the visitors, kind of what they were learning and what they were doing. And it was fun to see them, but it was really fun to see their parents. Because what were their parents doing? They were looking at their kids with the same kind of proud eyes, the same kind of wondering eyes that those of us who have kids have done when our kids have gotten up and said something in front of other people. They really are. These people that we're afraid of, if we can just take a few steps back and we can start to listen and we can meet face to face, we will start to learn they are just like us. Third, sometimes the neighbors we fear have the same fear toward us. In verse 15, the people of the region came, and this is a really interesting thing. They see this man, they knew this man. They see this man clothed and in his right mind. And, and what does it say next? It doesn't say, and they were so happy for him. No, it says they were afraid. They were afraid. Things have changed. These are probably, some of them are the exact same people that tried to put shackles on him and ropes around him and chains on him and tried to control him. And nothing they did worked, but it's, it's just there is this fear. And sometimes the unknown drives us to even greater The fear was so strong that in verse 17 it says they asked Jesus to leave because they understood this transformation was something very unique. This transformation was something powerful and Jesus did it and I think they just didn't want to deal with that. Now, you have probably, when you hear about Middle East, North Africa, you've probably heard things about terrorists or honor killings or religious fanaticism. It's really interesting because I've talked to friends in the region and, and they have told me that one of the difficulties for people that follow Jesus in that region is that Christianity is associated with the West. And so when people who live there and don't know hear us, just like when we don't live there and we hear stories about terrorism, honor killing, fanaticism, this is what they hear. They hear stories about family violence. They hear families about crazy drug use and addictions. They hear stories about people going into schools and killing children with guns. 
And they associate Christianity because they associate Christianity, even though Jesus is from their land, Christianity is from the West. And they're afraid. They are literally afraid, some of them. You know, we need to somehow figure out a way to move beyond that. If you're shocked by that, if you're kind of offended by that, then think about the person that lives in the region who is very peace-loving and peaceable. One of the things that's really been hard for us to hear is Christians, brothers and sisters, asking us, why does the church in the West hate us? Because all they hear are messages about how their part of the world is dark and it's evil. And the people of the region are bad. And so it bleeds in. And so this is our brothers and sisters. That's, that's just the little bit of messaging they get. And so they cry out, why? In agony, like, why, does the, why do our brothers and sisters in the West hate us? You know, we just have to realize that even when we're talking about in our own neighborhoods, people that are really close by geographically, there can be misunderstandings, there can be fears, and they can go both ways. But here's the really hopeful part of this passage, and this is it, is that our new neighbors are the best at reaching their neighbors. I love the way this passage ends because in 18 and 19, you have this man whose life has been completely turned around and transformed. And he wants to go with Jesus. I, I mean, wouldn't you? Wouldn't we all? Like, you think about the transformation. He's sitting there clothed and in his right mind. He's probably having some amazing conversations. And so as it's time to go, and the disciples and Jesus are heading to the boat, he goes down and he basically, you just see him grabbing onto the gunnels of the boat saying, take me. And in one of those places where it's like, well, it seems like Jesus is being a little bit unkind. He says, no. Go back to your home and to your people. Now, for however long he was tormented, his home, as we said, was in the tombs. He had no people. You see, his life wasn't just restored in, on the inside and mentally. His, his whole life was restored in terms of his social and his cultural, he's now able to embrace his home once again. And he goes back. And it says he went throughout the region of the Decapolis. That's 10 cities in what's now modern day Jordan. He went through the whole region and everyone was amazed at his story. You see, if Jesus had said, okay, Peter, James, and John, I'm, I'm just gonna drop you off. 
Um, I'm going to figure out how to get the boat back. You stay here. I'll come back and pick you up in six months. They would not have had near the impact on those neighbors. But because this man is their new neighbor, because Jesus said, we're called to love everyone. We're called to love this man. He's our neighbor now. And in loving him, he is now equipped to love others in a way that we can't. So I hope that as we uh, think about what does it mean that we can think about this text, and maybe it seemed a little crazy, but you know, maybe it's something that we can take and apply to our own lives. So I wonder if you've stood to the side listening and watching this story unfold, much like the disciples who looked on as Jesus showed them and us what it can look like to love our neighbor. Jeff referred to the story earlier about the Good Samaritan. And I reread this story this week from Luke 10. And even though the question that was asked of Jesus was, who is my neighbor? I think the question that Jesus answered was more about what does it mean to be a neighbor? For the Samaritan that was getting over cultural norms of that day and fears to respond in love to the physical and material needs of the man who was hurt alongside the road, to the man who was freed of the demons, it meant staying where he likely had a bad reputation. He would always be known as that guy, that crazy guy from the cemetery. Yet he had a new life to live into and a story to tell that pointed others to Jesus. Being the kind of neighbor that God calls us to isn't always easy. In fact, it's often pretty hard. And unfortunately, I'm not a really quick learner. So there have been a lot of times in my life where I haven't loved very well. I haven't been a very good neighbor. I think back to when our kids were really little and. Um, Jeff became friends with this guy named Frank. And Frank was a homeless man from the town that we lived in. And I thought it was great that Jeff was friends with Frank, but don't bring that friendship home. It's not how Jesus wanted me to be, but you know, Jeff would start bringing his laundry home to wash it and I'd be like, I don't know what's growing in his clothes. I didn't, I didn't want that in my house. And then he wanted to start bringing Frank home. And I'm like, well, we have little kids. I don't know what, I don't know Frank. I don't know if he's a good influence on our kids. What kind of a Christian was I being? I was being one that was struggling to learn what it means to love, to love others as much as I love myself. So I didn't get it right a lot. I don't get it right a lot. But once in a while, uh, God wins the battle with me. But when I do get it right, it often comes with an internal battle. It was a number of years ago now, I was going to a shoe repair shop in our local mall in Winnipeg. It was a little tiny shop like those little shoe repair shops are. Never been in there. I walked in. There wasn't really anybody in there other than the owner and this little kid in the back room. And I was looking at these little mucklucks when I walked in, handmade mucklucks. And I remember as I was looking at them, I just heard this owner kind of yelling at this kid and being harsh with this little kid. And 
there's just a lot of tension in the air. And I thought, okay, I'm just gonna go bring my shoes in that need to get fixed and get out of there. And so I brought them up to the, the till and as I'm, you know, he's taking all my information, the guy gets a phone call. And um, this man um, was, I think, from the Middle East somewhere. He had a pretty strong accent. And when he got on the phone, he was speaking in another language. And he was, it was a tense call. It was loud, it was rough. Um, you could tell it was really not a good day. And in the middle of the phone call, he kept yelling to this little kid in the back who was maybe around four years old, four or five years old, and you know, trying to get him to behave and to just be quiet and be still. And anyway, all I wanted to do was get out of there because it was just too much tension for me. And so I, he got off the phone and he was telling me this was some family member and there was some crisis. And anyway, I, you know, give the information, get my little ticket so I can come back and get my shoes one day. And I start to leave. And another person comes in at that time, another um, customer. So I get right into the middle of this little store and I just couldn't go any farther. Very unusual experience for me. And if you've ever watched the Charlie Brown movie when he's doing the, when Charlie Brown is telling the Christmas story, he's up on stage and he gets this cone of light that comes around him. There was no cone of light, there was no light, but I felt like I was cemented to the floor in this cone of light. And I started having this conversation with myself, like, you gotta get this little kid out of here. And then the other part of my self would say, I don't even know these people. There is no way you're gonna take this kid out of this environment. And then I'd say, well, this guy is clearly having a bad day. You know, you, you should help him out. And I'm like, that's crazy. Even if I tried to, there's no way that any parent would let his kid go with a total stranger. So as this battle is going within me, it started to be a vertical conversation. There were no audible words. I didn't hear God say anything to me other than internally, I heard him say, I think you need to take that little kid for a walk. <laughs> and I'm like, God, you are crazy. Like, I can't go ask that father to let this kid come out with a total stranger. And there's no way he's gonna let it happen. Well, like most of my arguments with God, he wins and so they're very short. So all of a sudden, I, f I, I didn't even think about it. My hand went into my wallet. I pulled my wallet out. By then, the other customer had left the store. I, I find myself pulling my license out of my wallet and walking up to the counter. And I said to the owner, um, hi, my name is Darlene, and I just see you have a little boy back there. I wondered if he could come for a walk with me. And to my shock, the owner had this sense of relief on his face and said, that would be so nice. You know, my wife just died recently and I'm just having such a hard time holding things together. So I gave him my license, promised I'd bring his child back. I left the store with this little kid holding my hand. I'm sure he was petrified. And I go walking down the mall, I go to find a cart. I put this kid in this car and I'm trying to have a conversation. I'm you know, going to the other end of the mall because that's where Walmart is. And 
I'm thinking, looking over my shoulder all the way down, thinking this dad is gonna come charging after me or the police is gonna come catch me or something. I, it was the craziest experience. I get into Walmart and I run into somebody I know and they say, oh, who do you have with you today? And I'm like, uh, I don't know his name. <laughs> Crazy story. And I wouldn't recommend it unless God is totally telling you you should do it. But I learned something that day. I learned that to be a neighbor means taking those blinders off, opening your eyes to see who God is putting in your path, responding to the needs around you. I could have put my blinders on that day. It might have been easier, but it wasn't what God wanted. And I'm learning more and more as we open our eyes to the broader world that God wants us to love our neighbor. You know, as we started working in the Middle East, North Africa region, and I started taking those blinders off a little bit, I started to see that those people in that region have not a very easy life. There's a lot of heartache. There's a lot of difficulty. There's a lot of struggle. And when you start taking the blinders away, you start to know them as people and you start feeling their pain to a certain extent. You start carrying their burden to a certain extent. And I told my mom when I first started this, I said, you know, I'm going to cry myself across Northeast Africa, North Africa and the Middle East because as I started becoming a neighbor and starting to love like Jesus loves, you start to care for others a little bit more like you care for yourself. So I just wanna challenge us all today to take those blinders off a little bit. You know, it's costly. God might ask you to do something crazy. He might ask you to overcome fears. He might ask you to take away some of the prejudice you've had. He might want you to open your hands and give some of your resources to take care of others. I don't know what he's gonna ask you. Only God knows and only you can listen and respond. But as we come to the table today, the communion table, celebrating Jesus' love for you, for me, for the world, for all of us, hear Jesus ask you a question. Maybe as he asked his disciples that day on the boat ride back home. Hear Jesus say, how are you going to respond to my love? What kind of a neighbor will you be?